Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And well, today I have a fantastic conversation with two good mates. We go for a walk down memory lane with Simon Whitfield, the Olympic champion from 2000 and the silver medalist from Beijing Olympic Games. And then Craig Alexander, three-time Kona Ironman world champion and two-time 70.3 world champion. All of us started at the same triathlon club back in the early 90s. We share a few stories from that time. Balmoral Triathlon Club was such a special place for all of us that uh, I think it was great for us all just to self-reflect a little bit the lessons we've learned since those early days until we are now. I guess that's 30 years ago, so there's plenty of learning. I hope that you enjoy this one as much as we all did. Um, for us, it was a great way to just catch up. We hope to do another one of these in person towards the end of the year. But for now, Craig was good enough to get up at 5 a.m. in the morning. His voice was a little croaky. He's been dealing with a, a bit of a flu. So it was great to have him jump in, even though he wasn't feeling 100%. A little bit of housekeeping before we go on. You can actually find Craig Alexander, or Crowey, as he's best known, on anyquestion.com. His uh, username is Crowey Alexander. He's already answered a whole bunch of questions, but you can go in there and ask him any questions you like, and he'll get back to you on there. I did my best to throw questions at them today, but I'm sure you've got some follow-up ones after this episode. I just want to thank you so much for listening. It really means the world to me, and I do appreciate all and any feedback you guys give me, so please keep that coming, and I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. And remember... Success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right. Today, I'm joined by two of my favorite people on the planet, two of the greatest athletes in the world, and honestly, two of the best men I know. One of them dominated the world of 70.3 and Ironman with three Kona Ironman and two 70.3 world titles, and arguably the greatest career in the middle distance triathlon um, that I think we've ever seen with more wins I'm pretty sure that distance than anyone else. I might be wrong, but anyway, we're going to run with it. And add to that his impressive short course wins at races like Minneapolis and Chicago and and just so many more. And and you'll get an understanding why I just hold him in such awe. Just absolutely incredible man. Uh, The other, well, he has probably the greatest Olympic career we've ever seen in our sport. Maybe all bar one, but we'll, we'll, we'll call it the best with four Olympics and a gold medal at the very first Olympic triathlon and a silver medal eight years later. Known for his powerful sprint, he also took the world's biggest prize money wins at the High V World Cup and Lifetime Minneapolis. Personally, I watched from the very beginning as both of them started their careers as young men. And I've got to be honest, Neither of them were remarkable at the start, but (laughs) they chipped away to become the icons of the sport that we all love. I've spent hundreds, actually more like thousands of hours training with both of them. We've crashed and we've had podiums on the world stage and we've shared the highs and lows of sport and life together. They've both been on the show separately, but this time, this is the first for all of us to be together. So it's a huge honor and privilege. Thanks for joining me on the Greg Bennett Show. Craig Alexander and Simon Whitfield, how are you guys? Craig, you can just put your hand up because I know you've lost your voice. <laughs> it's good to have you. It's good to see you, fellas. This is great. Just uh, looking forward to this. Nice intro, Greg. Nice intro, mate. Thank you. Guys, thanks for joining me. I, I really wanted to do this today because Balmoral Triathlon Club, where we both, where we all started out in the early 90s, they have their awards night coming up. And they've actually recognized me of all people. So I thought we could all celebrate me on this show. I'm just kidding. But basically, I'm a part of the, the BTC Youth Scholarship Award. They put my name on it. And I thought, you know what would be really fun is to get you two on, discuss our life and how we all kind of started our careers early on at Balmoral and went on to do big and better things. And I thought we could share some stories and kind of at the start here, even just identify what we thought was unique about Balmoral Triathlon Club and why we thought it was awesome but before we do that i just want to see you know say good day and where are you both well i'm in i'm in sydney down in cold sydney middle middle of winter that'll do mate don't talk anymore let's save it up that's craig everybody his his voice he's going to run with us today but his his voice is not the best i've got my demi moore slash al pacino voice on (laughs) 
And Simon, where are you, mate? Um, I'm in Victoria. It uh, We haven't had summer start yet, but uh, I'm out on the ocean every day, so it's all good here. This is our third time we've tried to do this. So everybody listening, understand that we're running with it, even though Craig's lost his voice because we've tried... At three, we just decided we're going to go with it. So last week, Simon, you, did, you lost your internet and Craig, you lost your voice. Before that, I screwed up the times and so we all turned up at different times, but finally we're here. So we're going to run with it, all right? I always wanted to do this in person with you guys and I think we can probably do something like this again towards the end of the year. But So firstly, let's rewind the clock a little bit, which is my favourite thing to do in this show. But because of Balmoral Triathlon Club, I thought we could start there. And first and foremost, I think I met you both separately in 93. I think, Simon, you were early 93 and Craig maybe late 93. When did you guys first meet each other? Was it at Balmoral? Oh, it's cruel, yeah. It would be at the, at the park, I guess. I want to say it was at the Balmoral Tri Club presentation dinner mm. in 93 or 94. 93 maybe, yeah. Yeah, that would be I remember great. going out to, to swim with you out uh, in uh, Ashfield. In Ashfield, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Remember, and coming from Baltimore, I looked to Ashfield in 1993 was a little different. <laughs> you're, I, you're on the you're on the wrong side of the tracks there, buddy. When I was on the right side of the tracks to be there with you, because I remember just the uh, I don't know something was different about it. It was just this like we connected there, and and then the three of us went on this whatever this mission was. But to to bring it back to Baltimore, I got a spot. You know, we all got to have pretty successful and long careers, you know, we got a, a lot out of it. Do you think there was anything about the way we started and was there a culture in the club or anything that you think allowed us to, I think all of us kind of blossomed later too, you know, but I think we, in our youth in those early years, was there something about that that allowed us to, to grow, to become better athletes later on? Yeah, I think so. I mean, what I remember about Balmoral was it was always fun. They catered for everyone, but it was always inclusive you, you were truly the only Balmoral boy. Simon and I were ring-ins, but they adopted us, <laughs> took us in. Right. You know, I just remember it being a lot of fun and they were always including us in everything. If they were going away on a trip and they'd spare rooms, they would invite us to come along. And But it was also like a performance focus as well because we had a couple of sessions a week that were really serious with Rog Higley running mm. and also with Brian Drew on a Saturday morning. We had some... Uh, some really good bike run sessions in Centennial Park. So <laughs> that takes me I back. Should... Do you remember? Actually, rest your voice for a second. You bring up Centennial Park with um, Brian Drew. Do you guys remember doing that team time trial together? <laughs> oh, yeah. When you crashed and brought us down. Well, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> so this is how it went, folks. In my mind, anyway. You you guys are going to team time trial for one hour. Right, and so we were, we were hooking it. I don't know, sixty k an hour, or something. Whatever we were doing was faster than what they do today. And I remember we would come down, we we're coming down this little slope, absolutely flying. And then our alarms went off right on the one hour. And Crowy, you were sitting at the front, and you just sat straight up. <laughs> okay, I'm done. And we went straight up the back of you. <laughs> <laughs> I remember sliding along the road. Like seriously, we crashed so fast that I actually didn't break anything or hurt myself that much because it was just like sliding on the asphalt. I was always one for following instructions. <laughs> when Brian said an hour, I stopped at an hour. I remember, I don't remember the session, but I remember meeting up. Like I remember where we met in North Sydney and how we crossed the bridge and how we'd ride through yeah. the downtown at whatever that was, like 5.30 in the morning. And I remember that bit of it. But the actual sessions, I can remember Centennial Park, the, the nuances of it, the little hill off the side, that black slope that you're talking about. Uh, I can remember some of the sessions, but it's funny. I remember as much just like cruising around Sydney, you know, downtown Sydney, like like a bunch of kids on our bikes just going riding bikes. Well, you were That's a kid. Sad. I think you were 17 or 18. Like you literally were <laughs> yeah, still I a kid. I was, I was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 18 years old, living in. And here, here you go, like that Balmoral was this home away from home because I was either at the boarding house mm. where I was, you know, people were like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you leaving the boarding house at 5.30 in the morning? What is this that you do? Or being at Balmoral, where I was just part of the culture of Balmoral. Mm. It was like, yeah, we'll meet down there. We're going to go ride down to Sydney. Then we're going to go run around the headland. And then we're going to go back to the small woods for a barbecue afterwards. And yeah. it was, that was like, 
oh my, I can, can I hang out here forever? <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> so I remember that part of it. The sessions, sure, I, you know, I can place them, but I, as much I can picture the, I can picture the Smallwoods backyard and the barbecue and all that good stuff. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? What you, what you actually remember. All right. I'm just going to go back to the crash where Crowy brought us down, but actually that wasn't the only crash. Please do. Did you bring us down? Remember the Geelong race? Simon, where I ran over you, you crashed and then I had to jump you and my chain cut through you. And was that 2002? That was 02. I wasn't in that race. I had the chicken pox. Okay. No. Okay. So we can't blame you for that one? No. <laughs> no. Simon broke, Simon broke both his arms. I don't know if he has. That's right. You were, rooming with ha- you were rooming with Hamish Carter. Didn't he have to look after you in every way? Yeah, I had to, be- I had to say, fella, you got to come over here. He said, no. I said, come on, man, don't let me just, let me just, I, I need some help getting my pants back up. <laughs> hey, hey, Hamish, I need an extra hand over here. <laughs> I also remember, okay, I, here's what I remember that was Robbo pronouncing himself out the front and in, in the amazing way he would, you know, and I remember two weeks before I had, we had raced, Robbo and I raced head to head, and I remember thinking when he popped his head out again, I was like, oh, let's do this. Like, I'm, I feel as good as I did two weeks ago. And then wheels got touched. And then the next thing I know, I'm on the ground. Mm. And then I see you get up, Benno. I see you get up. And I'm thinking, oh, big bro's getting up. I got to get up too. And as I get up, I hear my collarbone go in my yeah. ear. I sit back down. And then this this gentleman comes running over and he dumps out <laughs> recycling, gar- like a garbage bag. And I'm just like, whoa, whoa. And he runs over and he's like, I got to turn it. I got a sling for you. And I'm like, no, no, please. And he's trying to wrap me in the, in the garbage, in this discarded <laughs> garbage bag as a sling. And so I'm having to, I'm watching you guys right off the distance and I'm fending off this man saying like, no, I'm, I'm, I think I'm good. I don't, I don't need your medical attention. And yeah, there you go. There's, there's our crash. I remember, I remember you went down in front of me and I had nowhere to go. You know, it was like, and yeah, I just thought, I don't want to end up on the road, but if I can get over to, I'm falling for sure. I, I'm not going to hold this. And I was like, if I can get to the grass on the side, but it, to get there, I had to kind of still leapfrog you. And as I tried to leap, the bike didn't really get as high as I'd hoped. And all I did was really lift the front wheel so that the chain went into you and I landed on the grass. But anyway, yeah, that was one of several crashes. Actually, when I retired, I think I'd done about 33 bike crashes by the time I was done. So maybe it was me. That, that crash in Centennial Park, I remember you sliding forever. <laughs> you slid for about a thousand meters and then I was like, oh, I'm going to be in trouble here. <laughs> and you just got up and said, okay, let's go run. You went to run off the bike. And I was like, oh, awesome. Let's go run. It was, one of, those, it was one of those awesome crashes where nothing, you know, you have those every now and then. It, there was a bit of a burn mark, but it wasn't terrible. And then it was just straighten up, the, you know, the, the, the lever you know, the handlebar, mm. lever, the, the brake lever. And then I was like, okay, yeah, we're good to go. Let's go guys. That's all good. So, all right. So Balmoral Triathlon Club, you guys were part of it probably from about 93, 94 onwards. That's probably right. Did you guys, were you guys kind of buddies during that time? Did you train and race together a bit? Any adventures? We went to, what race did we go to in there? It was like cracking back. It was a trial. It was a trial race for the um, Formula One series, and uh, it was blue or whatever it was. We needed to get down there. We decided to do it late. Neither of us had a car. Well, I had a car, but it wasn't working. And I borrowed. I borrowed a mate's car, and um, we picked up you and your dad. Yeah, your dad yeah. came with us too, and we drove down. It's like five hour drive, and did the race. And it was it was one of those triple enduros, or an, it, it might have been just a, a normal enduro, mm. not a triple enduro. But we'd both actually we'd been up the front of the race. But when we hit the second swim, we both flew out. That we never swum after running. <laughs> I remember after the race, we were meant to drive. I had a twenty first to go to, but you wanted to stay down in Crackenback for the after party. So <laughs> we we took your dad home, and Neri drove. We had a twenty first to go to. One of my good friends was having their twenty first, and Neri, growing up on a farm, she had a pretty heavy heavy right foot we were flying home and um every time i turned around your dad was just his knuckles were white just holding on and we got home we got home in one piece made the party but i remember dropping your dad we dropped him to strathfield station and uh <laughs> literally as he got out of the car the engine conked out and the car stalled and yeah it broke down so i had to push it we parked it and we just left it and caught a train the rest of the way neri and i 
and had to come back and get the car the next day. Why didn't Why didn't you go with them, Simon? What were you doing? Oh, you wanted to stay for the party. It was John. Andrew Johns had made the didn't he? Johnsy. Yeah, Johnsy made it, and Darren Carnell. Carnell. Yeah, Carnell. That's right. There you go. Three legends of it. So I wanted to be around everything. I wanted to learn more from from probably from you, Beto. I was probably just sitting asking questions. I didn't race it, but I remember being there watching it. I, I came and watched you guys do that. I remember that. After you guys left Bamol Tri Club, though, you, you kind of went, did you see each other much after that sort of time? Because, Simon, you went back to Canada. And, Craig, you went <laughs> French clubs and everything else. Did you guys ever train much together after those years? Um, we trained up quite a bit together during during those years because I remember meeting at North Sydney Pool a few times and mm. we troubled a lot in those early years. Do you remember the race where we were going to Geelong, ironically, same place where you break your, mm. your arms? And I was sitting there having breakfast and it was back in the day where you had paper tickets for the plane. I'm just looking through the, the flight and I thought we are flying the next day and I think you did too. And I was like, oh, hang on, that's today's date. So I rang you and you've looked and you said, Oh yeah, we're, we're flying today. We better get to the airport, and uh, <laughs> we had like an hour to get there. Of course, Craig, being organised, he'd already flown down the day before. <laughs> I remember just throwing everything in a bag, rang a cab. When the taxi turned up, I just put my bike on the back seat of the taxi. Didn't even pack it in a, a box, and you did the same. And um, I lived a bit closer to the airport, so I got there before you did. And I just had my bike in an Allen key, and I went and got one of those Qantas bike boxes, and um, packed it in. And I remember waiting curbside for you to roll in. Your taxi came in and your bag, it was like your bag had exploded on the back seat. You had clothes everywhere on the back seat of this cab. The cab driver's popped the boot. I've pulled your bike out and packed it into a quarter box as you're packing all your clothes in and we made the flight. We, we did make the flight, but um, we're this, probably a little unorganised in those days. This does not surprise me one bit from the two of you. It's <laughs> shocking to me. And anybody who knows me now, this was they're like, man, you used to be like that and now you're so organised to... Really? I, I no. can't believe you're so organized. No. No. screen right here. There's like a, the whole closet is about to fall on my head. Like, what are you talking about? But I'm getting lots of fun. So I made it to the airport and, you know, here we, we go. We made the, the flight. We made the flight. Did you guys go to French clubs the same? Were you guys in this? Did you ever race in the French, the European stuff together after that? I think Simon went a bit before me because he's a... Uh, his antics in the Iron Tour were legendary yeah, yeah, when no, I got over there. I so, um, yeah, I, I was a bit after. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Going head to head with Les Singh and also tripping. You know, no one who taught me to do it was Trent, was Chapo. Oh, so well. I was the first person I'd ever seen talk back to, to Simon. Mm. It just chirped and Simon was doing his thing and then Chapo just gave it right back. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. That's like possible. That's like... <laughs> That's on the table right now. And so fast forward to Iron Tour, he's doing his thing because he was awesome. I mean, he was the oh, king yeah. and, and yeah. he's doing his thing. Yeah, and I, and I just, I was so, I, the first event that I went head to head with him, I got the better of him. And then the second one, he was chirping away. And then I started, I was like, oh, okay, like, let's, this sounds like we can chirp now. <laughs> so we had that kind of relationship for a while. But I, uh, yeah, there you go. That's back in the day. The, the French experience was that whole Europe experience was incredible. I never really did terribly much French race. I was over there in '96, and Darren Carnell was a part of a team, and I, I joined for a little bit. But I never really—I actually joined a Czech. I raced in Czech for a team mm. over there with Jan Rahula, who was also sort of a part of our little group every now and then. And well, Jan was actually a little bit after Balmoral Triathlon Club days, I think. But he was in Sydney, and we, we used to train at Willoughby Leisure Centre for the swimming. Did you guys swim there? You go, yeah, yes, yeah, Simon, you did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I did a couple did a couple of sessions with you boys. Yeah, with Graham Brewer then as I the coach. Still, Paul O'Brien and I still owe you seven hundred bucks from a rental car and from uh, Grenoble and uh, after the Embrum race, <laughs> uh, we, we you rented it. It was under your name, and then Paul and I drove it to Lapdoes and couldn't find our accommodation, and ended up backing it up into one of those concrete pillars. And you then sleeping outside on our bike boxes underneath the accommodation that we were supposed to be in <laughs> and then drove it back. And then when we handed it in, we were like, uh, and I remember whatever we communicated back then, probably like, dee, 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 dee. <laughs> I said, you, dee, 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 dee. like said, I owe you $700. So I think. You know what I was going to do with that $700, by the way, there was a, there was a new stock called Amazon. 
and I was putting it all in that. So let's figure out the difference now. <laughs> oh my god! Imagine. Well, Paul Brian and I owe you like a lot. <laughs> That's, that's awesome. So when you guys look back at your careers, I know I do this. I kind of look back and go, man, it's actually kind of awesome that we got to, I don't know, tick a few boxes along the way. And we, got, we all got to have pretty long careers and everything. Do you sometimes just, both of you, do you like sit back and go, wow, as we reminisce a little bit from the 90s, you know, mid-90s, early 90s stories, and then now you look at your career, do you guys every now and then just go, that was pretty awesome and we were pretty privilege to have that experience um I, I, I don't know if i look back and say well I, I certainly miss those days that part of life where you know you're younger and just chasing something and having fun doing it mm. I, I do miss that and um and then i guess that later part of my career when i travel with neri and the kids i miss that i miss that for sure and all the people that you used to see regularly mm. um and having having a, a really sort of all-encompassing goal to immerse yourself in um, that sort of takes up your all your waking thoughts and even your sleeping thoughts. Um, so yeah, I miss that part a lot, and the racing too. But mainly the camaraderie yeah. with, with you guys and and the people you meet. That that's what I miss. Yeah, I feel like it happened to somebody else. I, I think of it as like yeah. I literally see it and I go, oh, "Look at that guy. He looks like me." That's funny. <laughs> Who? What, I wonder what his experience. When he, I wonder what he's doing now. You know, I I have such a funny relationship with it in that sense but crow you know that it's the people you know like i know you couldn't go back there and tell yourself like hey like because we were just so immersed in the people and the process and loving it like you said it's just so fun to be so engaged in one thing yeah. that you just love to do and you literally sleep and think about you dream about mm. but i definitely yeah i found that the hardest part of the transition was all throughout you touched on it ben like crow and i would we would overlap throughout the year and every time i we saw each other the three of us see each other it was like just like in slovenia then i was like it's like i just saw you the day before and it was straight back into the sink and i was just it was amazing and that's the part like all of a sudden when you're yeah. done that part of sport you go like oh whoa i don't get to see those people every year the yeah the the Bevan Doherty's, the Snowy's, the, mm. I don't get to see them every, I don't get to do the circuit with them. But so, yeah, I miss, I miss that part, but I do, I really look at it sometimes like it happened to somebody else. So. Yeah, I'm a bit the same. I feel incredibly privileged that I got to have it at all. Like my gratitude of getting to be a professional athlete, I'm kind of like, man, not for a moment do I think, like, don't get me wrong, plenty of highs and lows and it was a lot of work. But boy, like you said, Craig, it's kind of like that sense of purpose and that real drive to try and achieve something is pretty awesome to have that feeling. Mm. And I think we've got more in us. We can find other purpose and other drive and we can hang out with other people, but it is nice to reflect about what we had in the sport of triathlon. If I said to you guys, putting you on the spot, the ultimate high experience, I mean, you guys achieved so much, but was there any one high and it doesn't even have to be one of your biggest wins. It could be mm. anything. Was there anything that stands out from your careers where you're like, that was one monumental moment that was awesome? I mean, take out meeting me for the first time, obviously. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was monumental when I met you because uh, I was doing it. It was one of my first ever triathlons and we were racked at Canberra next yeah, to each other. Yeah. And I, I knew nothing about bikes. So I borrowed wheels from the local bike shop and I'm just pumping. I'm, everyone's pumping their tires up. So I pumped my tires up and... I pumped it up too hard and it exploded. Bang, I remember that. Yeah, yeah I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, scared the, who's that idiot? What's he done? Scared, <laughs> scared the living daylights out of everyone. And I was like, oh, didn't think that could happen. I don't know what to do now. And uh, you had a spare tire that you gave me. And um, I think Neil Larkin was there with the pump, wasn't he? Uh, he, he, he was. He, he, he helped me change. In the Balmoral support, support Yeah, yeah. Well, also in fairness to you pumping that tire up, Back then, it was like if the label said that it could go to 180, we'd pump it to 200, right? It was the, yeah, exactly. The more pressure, the more pressure. Now it's completely the other way. It's like no. the opposite. Yeah, <laughs> we used to put 180. In. Yeah. Do you think that what it is with say all the way back to Balmoral is that we, you're around a group of people that speak athlete? Like that's what I notice now is when I'm fun, like, I went to the track track meet last night and and I sat with a couple of the the Olympic runners and we, I was like, Oh wow, we all kind of speak athlete, you know, like I feel like I just sat down and we just started speaking athlete. Mm. And I think about more, I can think back to the clubhouse and playing tip footy on the beach there and swimming and running across the thing yeah. and the run up the hill. But at the end of the day, all those are 
versions of speaking athlete. Like, Hey, you want to go for, that's totally normal. Like, do you want to go for a 90 minute run around the bottom of the like Toronto park zoo? Yeah, that's normal. Let's do that. Like yeah. you speak athlete too. Yeah. Okay. We can go do that. I think that's what really stands. I like up. that. I like that. I like that speak athlete type thing. It's funny. The company I'm working with now, you know, any question, which now, you know, presenting this podcast, it's, um, I'm on there on the team, Brett Hawke, who also has his own podcast is now head of launch at any question. And then our CEO and founder, Ed Baker, is, you know, incredible Ironman athlete in himself. And it's amazing how you have this athlete mindset. Like, so corporations and business talk about it, but we actually have an athlete mindset. Like our leaders in the company are all these kind of different types of athlete. And we get it. We dream big. We understand the turning up every day, staying consistent, working hard. But we all have this kind of, I don't know, there's something about it that it's not even just being able to say, oh, that guy's got good running form or whatever. There's a, there's a way that you, you live. Um, that's been fascinating to, to watch for me. I was at a paddling event in Ontario last week and a guy came over, just walked into a conversation with the paddle and started talking about the attributes of the paddle. And I chuckled because I was like, oh, this is like athlete speak. Yeah. Like only a bunch of athletes would stand around and go, oh yeah, like the carbon, what kind of handle is, oh, and the uh, texture yeah. of the blade comes out. And, and out I just, about it. just <laughs> right into this conversation. The two of us were like, oh, cool. I'll talk about that. I love that, pal. That's cool. Let's talk about yeah, it. So yeah. I I think that's it. You you And I definitely notice it now. I notice in life, like I I have trouble in, say, in a business conversation, people who've had their whole life yeah, and just yeah. That's got to be life. And I'm good. I'm like starting to learn. I'm translating mm-hmm. it. I'm trying to be like, oh, do you mean this? Oh, that was wrong. I forget how I said anything. And I, I love it and it makes me uncomfortable and I challenge myself in it. But what I also love to do go, is go back and find a bunch of people who speak athlete and I go, hey, like, do you want to kick? Do you want to toss a ball? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that's athlete. That's yeah. speak athlete. It's a different language. And, you know, when you speak to people in a business setting or in a corporate setting as well, and you hear about their journey and, this didn't work out, so they changed jobs. And, you know, you think back to an athlete's journey and a lot of us, there was no plan B or we, there was no exit strategy. We yeah. were all in on one thing. So I, love I just, I get the sense in, in the corporate world and in business, just the conversations I've had with people, they always had different, and it's probably smart succession planning or, or whatever. As an athlete, you're just all in on the one thing. And, you know, I don't think any of us ever gave a second thought to what happens if this doesn't work out. There was, yeah. this is what we're doing. I love what do that. we do next? You can't see the forest for the trees. You just, this is what we're doing. There's no exit strategy. There's no safety net. It's, it's just this. It's the most alive you can feel. It's a light. I just, that feeling, and I've described it before. And I remember Dallas in 07, right? And I remember going down, I had to win that, you know, that fifth race or whatever. And I remember going down the bus with everybody and just had this little mantra going, this is not a choice. There's no choice. Mm. You only have one way to do it. That's it. There's only one way. And it's the most alive I've ever, ever felt. And, and the following year in Dallas, it was a bit the same. It's just like, I love that feeling where there is no exit strategy. I like how you said that. No exit yeah. strategy. I'm all in. It's, it's the most alive you can ever feel. Is that perpetual presence as in like you're all in as in you're not, you're thinking just about, you're not even thinking, you're in an intuitive state mm. that is executing on all of this training that has now become intuitive to you and as much as you may have had a mantra all those things were bringing you back to just being i just going to go do this thing i know how to do it's intuitive to me and if you think about it too much you're done like if 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 your competitor is now thinking about you doing it they're already done Mm -hmm. that state of flow i had a performance coach on a mental performance coach on a couple of weeks ago seth pepper and we were describing, you know, how do you get into a state of flow? You know, how do you, how do you make that happen? It's so, and we were using the illustration talking about a big wave surfer that mm. they have to be in a state of flow or they die, right? Mm. That, that there is no exit strategy. I'm going to keep using that because I really like it. And it, I love that. How do you get yourself in a state of flow? Well, when you don't have any other options, but to be all in and focus on everything that you can control in that one moment, that's awesome. That's a state of flow. That's the real stuff. No, I agree. King Kehameh do that. He did the. He he burned the boats. He sent them to the beach, and then he burned the boats. And he said, "I like either you go win this fight, or you, you take the island of Maui, or you like there's no boats left for you." And it's, I mean, that's like the most extreme example of it. Sports just an excuse not to fight, isn't it? So, <laughs> <laughs> gladiators in a safe place. <laughs> hey. 
<laughs> we like make up all this stuff and make a list of like, hey, we'd really like it if you two stop fighting. So can we like, do you want to kick a ball around? Do you want to like, <laughs> yeah. you can hold a bat? Hit a we ball. chuck something at you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't, you stop drawing so much blood. There was one race I got ready for. I won't mention names because we're all friends with certain people, but, and their wife had said something and it was really bugged me. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to effing destroy this guy. You know, it was like that whole battlefield mentality. And I did, like, it was like, I turned up and I was like, I delivered a performance. It was that, cause I was, I was angst. It was go, yeah. like going to war. It was like going to battle and it wasn't even, he didn't even do anything wrong. It was, it was his wife that pissed me off. So <laughs> you guys both, both avoided my question, by the way, just circling back. Was oh, there one high? What was the question again? Oh, one high. <laughs> Was there one? I mean, you got. Is there anything that stands out? Croy, you were running down the sideline on the sand in the sand at Balmoral, and you passed it out to the wing, and I went around Balmoral and scored. Number one. <laughs> okay, boom. You're avoiding that one. Okay, let's do a career low. Anything that you guys look back and go, that was my. That was the toughest time. I haven't given you guys any pre. I didn't tell you guys asking you these things. I was just jotted these down well, before the show. I mean, how long have we got? There's plenty, plenty yeah. of those. I mean, I remember, I remember watching. Our good mate Simon win gold in Sydney and Neri and I were standing in the domain just jumping up and down saying, we cannot believe it. And this was with about three, 400 to go. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, that inspired me to, to want to go to the Commonwealth Games two years later after watching Simon um, win in Sydney. And, uh, you know, I, did, I, I jumped into the draft legal thing more than I had because I'd only ever been doing one a year, one or two a year. And. I made the team. I made the. Uh, I went up to Malulaba, got on the podium, made the Australian team for ITU Worlds, and also made the train on squad for Com Games, and then came down with the chickenpox, which is the race that you boys were talking about when Simon broke his arms. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That was one of the selection races for the Commonwealth Games for Australia for the Australian team. So I remember just being gutted because I, for eighteen, it was the first time really in my career I had a, a plan. I wanted to go to the Commonwealth Games. It was going to be eighteen months. Um, this is what I have to do. And I got right up until the last hurdle. I was on the squad of six. They were about to pick three from a race in Canberra and that race in Geelong where, where you boys crashed. And I didn't even get on the start line. I got the chicken pox and mm. just remember thinking, wow, that's, that's 18 months up in smoke. Mm. So that was, that was a low point. But, you know, it's, yeah, people say it's a cliche. It is part of the journey. I think you need, as you progress through your career and your racing, you, you get, you develop resilience through different situations and it's it's an important part of being able to close out in those clutch moments when you have the opportunity having the dark moments before that i think it 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 develops your mindset and your mentality and your understanding that opportunities don't present all the time so i've got to be more switched on than ever before and and then four years later i wanted to go to the commonwealth games again um it was going to be in melbourne so it was going to be a home com games and I'd just come off winning Lifetime Fitness, probably the best win of my career, I, I think. Got sick again, though, and didn't even make the selection races again. The selection mm. races were in Melbourne, and for the second Commonwealth Games cycle in a row, I didn't even make it to the start line. So, I mean, they're disappointments, but as, again, you know, I think with the benefit of hindsight, you look back and think, well, it just toughened me up. It toughened me up mentally. You know, you just dust yourself off, get back on the horse and set yourself some new goals. So... Um, you don't enjoy those moments when you're going through them, but they're a necessary part of of the high moments yeah, as well. Yeah. How about you, Simon? My, I guess my the highlight or the most impact. It's not the highlight, but the most impactful thing was at also at the same at the same event. So 2012 London, mm. the walking into the opening ceremonies, carrying the flag, uh, impacted me profoundly. Impacted me. I think it made it like. It's the most I'd ever, I don't know. It had ramifications that went way, way beyond sport and for my own just personal journey of really what it meant to be, to carry a flag, to what does nationalism mean? What is all of that? You know, to be so confronted with it in this moment where you're supposed to be this kind of like, I'm, I'm the flag bearer, like I'm clearing the thing and I'm supposed to represent whatever this ideal is. And then it, it doesn't, it's not, wasn't lost on me like later thinking about what does that mean? And is this what divides us? Like, am I, 
the, that whole piece in that of saying like, I'm Canadian and we're like this and you're like that. And I did struggle with that. I still struggle with that now. Um, and I think also just like on a, on a biological, level, like chemically that amount of dopamine to walk in and like experience this, all these people in a stadium and all these people at home and the, all that comes with it. And then the next day I have to get up and go like, your brain's going like, okay, cool. Let's go. We're going to do that again today. Right. Like we're going walking into the stadium. You're like, no, sorry. We just got to go to the pool and like do some laps. And then we're going to go scout the course. And then we're going to go lay in our room for quite a while. And your brain's going like, yeah, that's neat and all, but like, I want all that dopamine back. Mm. So that impacted me profoundly. And then the, there's some just human relationship stuff that happened there. There's no need to go into the specifics of it, but the ramifications of that took years. You know, I had a, there was some controversy there and I didn't necessarily go about it in the, the best manner and in 2020 hindsight and those ramifications, you know, only just recently got resolved hmm. and it like come around. So, yeah. So what are my two most impactful? They are like these, op- the, the, the carrying that flag and then the consequences of it. Hmm. Yeah, I like that answer. It's kind of like, it's not always the obvious thing, you know, it's like, and then it, it affects you more deeply probably than you would have ever expected. Like it's meant to be a, a tremendous honor and everything that goes with it. And then you're starting to go, well, hang on, what does all this mean? I like I that. All of a sudden, how many people were to go from your pedestal, right? Cause you don't, the opposites, the other side of adulation is isolation. Like we don't really see that. We, you get all this adulation and you're like, and you're like, Oh, thank you so much. But like also, you're all going to leave. And then I'm just staying here by myself. Mm. And so when I came home from London, that was very much the experience. I experienced was like, Oh, I was carrying the flag, but now all y'all are mad at me. Like now I didn't do this thing. Right. And I, you got this story and you heard this other thing and you're telling me like, you have the opportunity now to come tell me. Mm. So I'm literally at the pool or I'm at the lake or I'm down at the coffee shop and someone comes up and either tells me, I love what you did. Da, 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 and I'm going like, I just, I want to just move on from that. Or they're like, I can't believe you did that. That's my like cousin and you're such an asshole. And you're like, uh oh, can I just go hide under a rock? Cause like you're telling me I'm the greatest and you're telling me I'm the worst. And I just want to go kick a ball around now. Cause I'm yeah, yeah. speak athlete again. <laughs> I don't want to talk about this anymore. So yeah, there you go. Well, I, I still think one of my highs was seriously being in the stands, watching you win that 2000 Olympic gold. I know it sounds, I don't mean to embarrass you, but when I reflect back, yes, you win races and things and they're special moments, but to see one of your mates do something at that time, it was the first time I've ever been in the Olympics. Mm. It was the first weekend. We had the women the day before and then, and then the men. And then I was there as first reserve. So I'd had my whole down period before it. Like for me, probably my lowest point is leading into my highest, one of my highest points. So opposite to you in the sense that I had that whole court case with Triathlon Australia and everything about being left off the Australian team and blah, blah, blah. And I was really bitter and bewildered. And then you offered me to come and, you know, train with you in Victoria, Canada, which was almost like a, a lifesaver, you know, putting you out your arm and gra- grabbing me. Because like, I was in a pretty dark place. I was about to give the whole sport away and I was miserable. And then suddenly I'm in Victoria, Canada, training with a really fun group of young people and just loved it, just loved it. Fell back in love with the sport because I'd become a bit bitter with it. Then I meet Laura in Victoria, <sighs> Canada. And, you know, we basically never date. We basically just fall in love and that was it. It was like poof, instant you know, and she's still with me 22 years later, which is kind of amazing. And then mm-hmm. one of your very best mates goes and wins the Olympic gold. So it, it was like this really low point into just this accelerated me for the next phase almost. It was like this, oh, you know. So anyway, that, that for me, 2000 is a very fond memory year. And I know sometimes you get tired of talking about it, Simon, but for me, I, I enjoy we talking don't. about it. So we don't. <laughs> so screw you. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny is because we have this camaraderie that goes forward from there. So when I'm, you know, Crowe, you're reflecting on watching Sydney and then I'm thinking like, oh, yeah, but then I got to watch you I get to watch you go to Hawaii and then I get to like, watch you do that run of five and I and it was, it felt so much like that was so, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so, our, our team has done so well. You know, it's just so fun to be. Yeah, we, we did have a good little team going on. It was good. Yeah. As athletes in individual sports, I think that's what you miss, you know, and that's what I think Balmoral gave us. And even though 
the geography might have changed and it might have been in Boulder or mm. Victoria or anywhere mm. around the world. We still had that that teammate camaraderie and um, yeah, that was so. Well, I think well, Sydney was special because that's where we met. It's where we trained. I mean, we did a lot of our sessions just down the road yeah. from from where Simon won his medal. And I also remember actually in the crowd with a quarter of a million other people. Neri and I bumped into Jace Harper as well. Remember Jason Harper? And he was like, oh, yeah, Simon's got this one. Simon's got this one. And everyone was jumping around. It was such a great memory. I remember being in the stands as the reserve for the Australian team, <laughs> holding a little Canadian flag, <laughs> <laughs> jumping up and down and just tears running down the face with the final, final 400 minutes. That's where friendship trumps nationalism. Oh, absolutely, and, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, back to, back to your story about the flag, Simon and... I mean, I can't believe anyone would ever be mad at you because you have nothing but good intentions with everything you do. So, oh, you take me back to see one another person. There's a name from the, but one of my favorite photos is Courtney Atkinson and I, and, and the in the closing ceremonies in our, and he's got his Aussie kit, and I got my Canadian yeah. kit, and just like these two mates, just like look where we are. Like this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, here we are, and he's you know, gosh, what a what a legend he is. And so, yeah, you're right. It is those friendships that. Trump all those. All right. So, guys, if we had to, I mean, this is kind of a bit of a lazy question too, but I do like it. What would you, you know, you tell your 17 year old self now after going through everything you've been through? Is there anything that jumps out at you going, geez, if I was 17, if I'd just known. <laughs> I would tell him to do a finance and accounting degree. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what you started? <laughs> I thought you started. No, I did a history degree. History? And- did you really? Yeah, history. I bump into Chris McCormick in the courtyard of University of New South Wales, and he's doing his business degree, and I'm like pondering, you know, what happened and for to Cathedium and back and whatever. And I would have done a, and finished a finance and accounting degree. <laughs> so you wouldn't have been an athlete. You would have. No, I mean, sorry, I would have done that at the same time. So oh, I could, oh. for post career. For post career. Then again, everything's so dated by the time we retired, guys. It wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. Uh, well, I, got, I got my physio degree and uh, I was going to be a physio and then the triathlon thing started working out all right. And towards the end of my career, I thought maybe I could go back to physio, but I graduated 25 years ago and I've got a mate. Who's, he owns a few practices around, about five physio practices. And I said, you know, maybe I should come in and do a few days. He's like, when did you graduate? And I said, oh, 97. He said, 97? I don't know if I've got anything for you to do. Oh, do you know how to make coffee? That's what he said to me. I don't know if I'd, anyone would trust me training them, but uh, to answer your question, would I, what would I say to my 17-year-old? So, you know, I had, a, I had a little soccer career before I was a triathlete, and I played right up until I was 20 years of age. But the serious part of my career stopped when I was about 15 or 16, and I always regretted as soon as it got hard, giving up. I didn't have enough, I guess, good role models around me or whatever to say, no, this isn't what's meant to happen. Like I missed a team and I thought, oh, that's the end. You know, the great players, Maradona, the professionals, they they never miss a team. So my career must be over and it sort of petered out after that. So when I started in triathlon, the only goal I had was just to to be a bit tougher, not, not to, you know, not to roll over and play dead soon as the going gets tough. So Mm. And I think I did that in my triathlon career based on what had happened earlier in my life. So, yeah, I, I don't think I would go back and tell my 17-year-old self anything because that's what I told myself at the time, just be a bit tougher. Yeah. When the going gets tough, just just be a bit tougher. It's funny. I have so many things I would say to myself. <laughs> I'm like, I, I think for me, I struggle with confidence. I didn't know how to finish off a race. And it took me from 17 probably until really 2006 where I started really like even though if I had had some good success before that it was because of consistency not because of winning and I think that winning wasn't there because I wasn't confident enough in myself I was just focused on the hard work I I loved the hard work I think the three of us all loved the hard work in fact I loved it so much I'm sure I overdid it most of my career but I think had I been a bit more confident I wouldn't have overdone it too much and I would have focused on I think Simon you were very good at focusing on the the details I don't know that I did I think I was a bull at a gate and and you I I like I joked that I would do the accounting thing because I it's kind of my standard answer and it's true I would do that but I would also it would be what's the the adage it's like it's the people the people the people it's like I I definitely part of sport and competition is 
the triumph and the like, what mm-hmm. sacrifices are you willing to make? And I think I blurred at times that it didn't matter so much. It wasn't about, it, it was about winning. It was about accomplishing. It was about sacrificing. And it, and at times lost sight of like, actually well, these, the, it's the people, it's the experience and the people that, mm. that matter here. And I don't, I, yeah. So I, if you could, I mean, you can't, and that's the journey, but for now, you know, going forward, I really try and come back to, I'm always trying to bring back to myself back to like, it's the people, the people, the people. Mm. When you guys look at the sport now, you know, you've both been around it for 30 years. How's it changed both, you know, good and bad, I guess. Is there any things that stick out and you go, oh, that was good, that was bad? They're so fast now. Mm, I, I just think that the, the development... It's all the, in the shoes, the It's fast because the of the level. <laughs> just kidding. Well, well <laughs> that's part of it. The technology's coming, but I, I just think, look, when we started, people came into the sport, usually in their early 20s, from other sports. Mm. Whereas at some point or another, I want to say it was probably... Javier, Alistair, their generation, they got groomed and identified a lot earlier, um, fell into great coaching structures, got really good technical advice all through their teen years. And then when the hard work gets laid on later, they just, they had the great techniques, the great fitness, they were checking all of the boxes. And yeah, I just have, I I mean, I have a theory that every generation just gets a little better Mm. than the generation before. I think we learn a little more, the coaching gets better. You know, 25, 30 years ago, Triathlon was a sport that drew a lot of theory and knowledge from the three individual disciplines of swimming, cycling, and running, whereas now it's its own sport. I know certainly in Australia, I've seen my daughter, she she went to all school, so triathlon is a, it's a school sport now, and, and it's also a college sport where you can get a, you know, a full-ride scholarship. I just think the development, the knowledge, the technology, and the athletes, I think it, it's just across the board we're getting better as a sport, and it's really nice to see, and there's no question I think that technology plays a part, but, I mean, that happens in all areas of life, mm-hmm. you know. People come up with smarter ideas and better ways of doing things and you, you have to decipher what's really real and meaningful and impactful and what's just a gimmick or fluff. And, and you know, I think we're at a, t- a, a really exciting time in our sport where the performances are just out of this world. You know, watching some of um, these athletes, the way they swim, bike and run, it's, it's, it's exciting. Mm. and or inspiring yeah you were in st george right you just saw them race there the world championships the ironman championships and just how fast <laughs> it's like they don't get tired <laughs> it's amazing and, well mate they're, they're training and interestingly you know there's all the hype and the buzz around the norwegians and one of their coaches used to race ironman i raced him a couple of times their other coach i got to chat to in utah and you know, I just think they have a really smart approach. I don't mm. think there's any – I mean, they use the science and the theory. They also use a lot of intuition. But they have access to a lot of things too, like testing the way they feel during an Ironman, which is something that like back in the day you had to uh, sort of – you experimented with, and there's a lot of trial and error. They have a lot more um, certainty around the way they do things, and they're just utilising a lot of technology. They're just smart. Yeah. They're just smart. Mm. They're, ahead, they're ahead of the curve. And when, when I chatted to Alexander – Christian's coach just for half an hour, you just walk away thinking, oh, I mean, they're just, there's no surprise at why they're, mm. they're doing so well. And I mean, they scouted Christian and Gustav when they were really young and it's been a long journey. You know, people, like you talked about, it wasn't until 06, so you're, you're a bit older then, but you, you started nailing a few performances because you were putting all the pieces together with your confidence. You were matching that up with your, your physical ability and I just think it takes a while to get world class in something. And, you know, I know Christian and Gustav, they were, I think they were scouted or, or brought on board their program when they were 12 or 13 years yeah, of age. Over so, 10 years ago um, now. They've been going out. Yeah. yeah. Everybody forgets the years and years. They're like, oh, you've just come here. It's like, well, I've been working for a long time. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Simon? What have you seen, mate? No, it's, I think there's so many, there's just so much opportunity now. There's, you know, you can, do you want to race long, long course? Do you want to race Ironman? Do you want to race arena games? Do you want to race mm. PTO opens? Do you want to go on the world cup journey? Do you want to stay and just race in Japan? Like there's this, there's this incredible opportunity for athletes to go all, all down, whatever suits their, their journey, you know, whatever they want to do. And then with the Norwegian thing, yeah, that it's this all in mentality, but part of that all in too, is they, 
they seem so genuine in their desire to see, I don't know, they've just transcended that like binary win loss. They just, they, they are in this to see what they can, how they can perform. And if mm. it results in a win, then that's great. And if it doesn't, that means somebody else did the process and applied themselves and was all in, yeah. in a different way. And then they just celebrate that as like, Oh, mm. like, thank you for pushing this further forward. What can we learn from you? Cause we want to push it forward next. And that transcendence of that, such a binary outcome, I think is being, is very apparent. And just when you watch their, the videos with them interacting and they might say some things about winning, but I actually think that they're more just talking about performance. I think a lot of the top performers have that though. The winning is a byproduct. It's, it's the process that, that the people are immersed in and obsessed with. No question though. You know, when you're in the business of sport, that's a, that's a bottom line business win losses. That's how you get judged and so you get rewarded and whatever. But you know, I know you guys, you guys were like that. You guys were about performance and that, you know, a byproduct of performing well would be the result. Um, I, I see that with the Norwegians, maybe to a, to a heightened level, but I, I've seen it throughout the course of the history of our sport as well. The top performers were just driven to push the envelope, their own envelope, and they maybe push the sports envelope a little f- further as well. I look at the 90s, we're all about one thing, just working harder. Who trains the hardest? It's like the, that mentality was still dragged on from the 100 years pr- previous. And then I feel like, it started to become more holistic, looking at your nutrition, your sleep and your recovery, your physiology, you know, how you train. Like you're saying, the Norwegians have taken that all a bit further, but I really feel like that started happening really seriously about 15 years ago where people started using sports psychs, you know, like we'd never see a sports psychologist in the 90s. That would have been like, you're a wimp. You know, it was that whole mentality of, you know, harder, stronger. Whereas I feel like now if you talk to a, an elite athlete like a Christian or Jan Fidin or whatever, they have this team where they're surrounded by people that have this, are helping them have this holistic approach to performance. And so they have this better life outside of the sport. So they have a better performance in it. The mind body connection is strong. So yeah. I remember, I, I do remember in the nineties, I think it was the nineties or early two thousands coming across a sport psychologist. And yeah, some of the things she told me that day I used every day of my career and my life from then till now. And I wondered why they just weren't as accessible. Mate, yeah, I, I guess the more of a mindset around that holistic approach now. But, um, yeah, you're right, though. I mean, even speaking to Christian's coach in in Utah, so when he started the race that day, he'd been sick. Mm. And obviously Gustav got sick as well and he pulled out and they were just testing their bloods. And the way he was telling me it was just part of their daily routine, oh, yeah, Gustav, he's not ready to race. Christian, he's not 100%, but he was past the point of where it would be dangerous to race. He's now held, and it's like, wow, these guys are so... It's not guesswork yeah. or hoping. There's yeah. no hoping. They know. They, yeah. they know through doing, looking at the data. They know the performance yeah. is there. It really is incredible. Do you guys think, you know, watching Christian, you know, do that whole sub seven, sub eight thing, which I love all of that for the sport. I, I just think it's really awesome that, and Maka, who we all know, you know, he's gone and put on these events and he's doing, he's, and only Maka could do this, right? Like he's doing such a great job at trying to do whether it be the super league or this kind of stuff. And I just love it. But do you guys think then, because they've now done that with teams and everything else, that it starts to become a little bit like you were just talking about that mental removing a barrier, do you think that starts to go there actually possible to do that without a team around them? Or do you think that bike that they did, a 316, you just have to have a team? I don't know. I mean, I love that. I love the sub seven, sub eight. It was cool. It was very cool. I heard on the broadcast, I think they said a lot of it was Alistair's idea, wanting to just see what was possible. Oh, is that right? And mm. and also um, he was also, the I think, the driving force behind, I think there was a, maybe a bit of talk about bringing in other triathletes as paces and he was like no no let's bring in pro tour cyclists and yeah I don't know I mean I think I think it's a, there's a possibility if they do it again hopefully they'll do it again next year to go quicker because I mm. mean you know the, that team of cyclists that Alistair had put together that team went eight minutes quicker than Christian's team so Joe Skipper was incredible because lost oh. the whole thing is like Joe Skipper was insanely awesome yeah incredible yeah, just with a, with a couple of with what a couple of weeks notification or whatever, and <laughs> not even that long. Not a- one week was it? <laughs> well, look at those twelve minutes. Like the guy is right there, put into the deep end like he was, 
just so much respect for that. And then watching what he's done elsewhere, obviously yeah. it's not totally out of the blue. And just, I, I saw his demeanor at Collins cup and it was really impressive. He's just, uh, he's a monster. He's a monster. He's, he, I, lo- I, I think he's yeah. an awesome guy to watch. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. I thought all four, I mean, Katrina Matthews, like you said, and then Nicholas Spirig, when you're talking greatest of all time, she, she has to be a part of the conversation. I know she's for Iron Man people, they're probably like, who, what, what? It's like in terms of longevity. She did an Iron Man. She yeah. did an Iron Man and she won it. And if she could be bothered doing yeah. more, she, she would She would do more. it if she wanted so to do more, yeah. But otherwise she turns yeah. up and does this Iron Man to basically finish out her career. Surely, surely she's going to be done soon. I mean, I remember seeing her at 98 World Champs in Lausanne. What a beautiful, what a what a beautiful runner she was. She she ran so amazing in that that challenge, sub seven, sub eight challenge. She looks amazing when she runs. She's incredible. There's no biomechanically, absolutely perfect. Mm. I mean, you know, her her career is Olympic gold, Olympic silver, same as you, Simon. You know, yeah, she, and she's yeah. five Olympics. What has she done? How many or six Olympics? Yeah. No. I like seeing the evolution of it to watch Kat come along and was she a Cap, army captain mm-hmm. she's got, yeah um, yeah army captain that's what it takes is like you've got this army captain comes along and applies herself to you know this triathlon sport and goes and does what she does and it's kind of like the arrival of the next gen of yeah. like it's here's the bar again it really yeah. is fun to watch what about i mean we talk i did briefly mention i'm going to put you guys on the spot if we said is there one greatest of all time triathlete that we want to throw in there or do you guys We've been around long enough. We should be allowed to have a say. Well, I want to say I'll, I'll throw out McKeeley. I think McKeeley mm-hmm. covers, for me, consistency, longevity, versatility. I mean, she won a world title, Xterra world title. She just decided to go and get a mountain bike and go to Maui and won an Xterra world title. She just she won Chicago eight times. And, I mean, if you go back Alcatraz to the 90s. eight times, she, I think, or ten times at Alcatraz. St. Anthony's yeah. ten times. And they, they were back in the days where you guys, now you guys raced on that circuit. I mean, McKeeley was racing Carol Montgomery, Emma Carney, Jackie Gallagher at those races. Mm. So to, to win Chicago eight times against that caliber of athlete, I mean, her consistency. How many times did you win Chicago, Crowe? Two. Oh, I got two, two. How about you? Two as well, I yeah. Think. Simon? Never been to Chicago. <laughs> 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 I just love to realize I've been to Chicago. I'm just teasing you. I'm giving you a hard time. I'm, it's like I have nothing on you. I'm backing that up. I give, I, I give you the OG. Yeah. McKeeley Jones, the OG. I think I like McKeeley. I, I'm trying to think if yeah. I can throw anybody. Daniela Riff and what she's doing is quite impressive in terms of, you know, oh. more recently and. You know, these, these, uh, her winning, her prolific winning is incredible. Five Ironman world titles and five 70.3 world titles. It's, it's a redundant, it's a hard, it's a hard question. No, it's a fun conversation. We're not going to well, get it right. It's a fun conversation. It's like there's no yeah, right you're, answer, you're, you're obviously. Never, <laughs> I mean, you know, Mark and that generation, they didn't have the Olympics. Yeah. I look at McKeeley because I think, well, she won IT world titles at drafting and non drafting. The current generation don't have the opportunity. Mm hmm. To, to do that. that. So there were, there were opportunities that every generation had yeah. that maybe subsequent generations or, or previous didn't have that opportunity. So it's very hard. But D- Danny's record and not finished is, uh, is incredible. Flora Duffy. Got to throw Definitely Flora in this conversation. conversation. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Olympic gold. She has 10 world titles across different, you know. I hope she races the Collins Cup this year and I want to see her do a 70.3 because I just think she'll – I think she'll just be incredible yeah. across all distances. Oh, yeah, she, she doesn't have a weakness. She's a weapon across the board. All right, men, we're going to touch it, guys? Take, take you two out of it. Well, I was saying, I was throwing women and men in together. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, so yeah, we, fair enough. Page. Fair yeah, enough. Bro. All right, so we're, we're, we're done. We're not going to pick a man then. We're just going to say one greatest Yarn, y- Yarn maybe, Yarn, Mark. Yarn, Mark. Yarn, yeah. Mark, <laughs> Alistair. Javi. Alistair? Yeah. Well, you gotta, you got you got to qualify it with a maybe. I don't think there's a definite answer. <laughs> oh, you're right. Fair. It's just so funny that with his, like, you're absolutely true. It's, and also his just, I don't know, the way he, he approached it, the way Alistair, those are my two mm. to see. I mean, Christian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that you, you described two legends of it and they can battle it out. Calling out a bunch of our mates. 
<laughs> you know, I did have, a, I do have a spreadsheet somewhere, which I stopped doing about 10 years ago, which has the, the top 50 ranked. Did I tell you that? Do you guys know about that spreadsheet? Oh, you, you did tell me about your spreadsheet, yeah. <laughs> and I, w- I would divide it up into swim, bike, run, would each get their column, you know, so 15% to swimming, 15 to bike, 15 to running. And then I, I can't remember all the columns I had, but it added up to 100%, obviously. And I looked at things like longevity, titles. I probably added one in there, prize money and bits and pieces. But That's probably the most cognitive and thoughtful way anyone's ever broken it down. Yeah, I do. I have to dig it up somewhere. We can, go, we can go through it. And I think at the time, so it must have been 2016, 17, I wrapped it up. I think I still had Mark Allen for the men. And then the women, I did have McKeeley at the top because um, I did the two charts. And I did have Mark Allen just in front of Jan Fadino, but I think Jan's gone on to do a bit more since. And and I did have Alistair behind there, and he's done a little bit more since. Um, And have you? You guys were both top 10. I couldn't tell you where, which is a pretty awesome list. When you go down to 50 and you're looking at pretty amazing guys at 50, and you go, oh, actually, that is pretty cool. (laughs) That's a cool list. I really hope Jan is healthy. In races in Kona I texted again this him year. this week, actually, and um, he's, I miss him racing there. He's uh, he's something to watch there. Just a quick mini break to remind you to go check out any question. That's any question on iOS or Android. And you can also go to the web, anyquestion.com. You can check out anyquestion.com forward slash Crowey Alexander. Go check it out. Ask him questions there. Guys, mate, this has been awesome just to catch up. What else do we want to talk about before I let you go? Because I know if I don't keep you on the line, I never get to talk to you again because everybody gets busy suddenly. Okay, do you want to finish with some rapid fire questions before I let you go? Yeah, why not? All right, you can alternate. All right, here we go. Number one, Crow, you can start. Best and worst subject at school? Best subject, maths, worst subject. Oh, I don't know, history, music. One of the languages, maybe. <laughs> a whole bunch of them. Yeah. <laughs> Simon, best and worst Isn't subject at school. I mean, I'm, my, favorite, my best would be history, English, and worst would be math. So. You're, you're, you're an enigma, though. Nearly every athlete I know is reasonable at math and struggled with the histories and the English. You are an enigma. Yeah. <laughs> All right, number two. Simon, you're going to lead off. What are you currently reading or watching? Oh, geez. Um, a good book. What I, the, the good book. Uh, what do I have right here? I have uh, Teddy Chang's uh, Stories of Your Life and Others. Ted Chang. It's fantastic. Cool. Um, I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. And uh, what was the other question? The movie? You could do a movie. I just watched The Illusionist with Edward Norton. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that oh, was, sure. Oh, mm-hmm. my goodness. That was fantastic. Chloe? So, I'm watching Ted Lasso with Neri at the moment, <laughs> the world's best sports coach, um, and reading Harry Potter with my daughter. Oh, that's awesome. Maybe. I love that. I don't even know if I've got uh, the best book of the last six months is probably for me, Shoe Dog. I really enjoy that Phil Knight book. Have you guys read mm. that, Nike? No. That's kind of a cool one to go check out. Anyway, first car you own, Crowey. Toyota Corolla, 1984. Oh, mine was a model. Toyota Corolla, 1974. The Grog Box. Renault Fuego bought it for 500 bucks. Didn't start in first. <laughs> <laughs> you had to start in second or roll it down the backwards. Down the that was what I had to do with mine. Remember, no, he'll you, start. Do you remember the Grog Box, Simon? I used to pick you up in the morning and take you swimming. <laughs> I arrived at that race. Um, so I took the train. I rode my bike in the dark and then I got a flat tire and then I got to the hotel and then I next morning I was like, Oh, I don't know how to get to the race. Like I got a flat tire on a disc wheel. How am I going to replace this? Figured all that out, got to that race. And then you gave me a lift home in the grog bog. Yeah. And for the next three or four years, I picked you up every single morning. <laughs> Go train. Actually, I've got a, just hearing that, hearing Simon tell that story. I've got another story. That race where we uh, nearly missed our flights. I don't know if you remember Simon, when we flew to Melbourne, we had to get to Geelong and we hadn't organized anything. So we jumped on a bus and it dropped us in Melbourne City, not Geelong. And then we were walking around Melbourne holding our Qantas bike boxes and we had to carry them so far we hurt our necks and shoulders we could hardly swim in the race on the weekend, <laughs> dragging our bike boxes around Melbourne for three hours, working out how we were going to get to Geelong. 
<laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, I love that travel. It's just, I was at the kids race on the weekend in, in Ontario, Barry Shepley put it on. And this kid said, what's the best part? Why should I keep doing this? His mom was kind of in on the conversation. And he said, well, why should I keep doing this? And I said, the travel. Mm. So I've been to Japan 12 times. Yeah that i've been to australia 30 times like it's the travel man like the, the travel people, is good although i don't want to do it as much anymore i kind of feel you do get it out of your system that is that's additional luxury though isn't it it's yeah. like yeah you yeah, say that yeah. i think i raced ishigaki jima 11 times that world cup alone <laughs> and then i gamagori yokohama conrad Stoltz doing japanese karaoke Oh. Well, that, hey, Ishigaki, Japanese karaoke is the reason I have no voice. 2005. <laughs> 2005, Ishigaki. Yeah, there you go. Lucy, Lucy had just been born. So a few of us went to a karaoke bar. We had a little wedding of the head. The guy who owned the bar just tossed us the keys at midnight and he left. We were there for about 12 hours. And that was the start of my throat, my voice problems. I had, to, I had an operation in 2006 to cut some nodules off. I still lose my voice to this day because of Ishigaki karaoke bar. <laughs> that, re- that race was a very special race, Ishigaki Jima. Well, guys, I'm not going to keep you all day because, Crowy, I know you've got things to do. It's a Saturday morning in Australia. You've done really well, mate. You, you actually, your voice actually sounded come back. You actually did pretty good, mate. It started a bit rusty, but you actually came good. So thanks for making the effort, buddy, because I know that couldn't have been easy. Simon, mate, I know you've got things you want to be doing on a Friday afternoon. In Vic, fellas. This is the best thing that ever happened. I know. Well, I, I, want, I really want to do this in person for everybody listening. You'll have to excuse just three old men having a good time reminiscing about some great stories and good times. Um, next, there. next time we'll do it with a couple of beers. Crowy's got got his glasses on and. <laughs> All of our eyesight's going. <laughs> um, but guys, this was this was truly, really a thrill. I'm so glad we got to do this. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for joining me. It was fantastic. Um, for everyone listening, you can find all the show notes and timestamps, coupon codes, and everything at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thanks a lot for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.